Welcome to Coaching Leaders, the podcast that is dedicated to helping managers become better coaches. Today's episode is powered by One Minute Feedback. If you face challenges with receiving feedback that is helpful and encouraging, then you will want to try One Minute Feedback. One Minute Feedback's cloud-based feedback survey helps you get supportive feedback from your colleagues and external partners. The feedback you receive using One Minute Feedback is unique in that it helps you understand what you should keep doing and highlight areas of your courage to grow. Hi, I'm Raf and I'm a host of Coaching Leaders Podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to talk with Marcus, author, coach, podcaster, but more importantly, he's an incredible human being and his entire work right now evolves around helping managers be 100% human being at work. Why? Because for some strange reason, corporate world has put on us rules and restrictions and frameworks that is creating this strange atmosphere when we are not 100% ourselves. As Mark says, we are human doings, not human beings. And in today's episode, I'm going to talk through some ways in which everyone can embrace 100% of who we are and behave just exactly as we are at home. So Mark, thank you very much for joining me in today. I really appreciate your generosity with your time. Uh, thanks for having me, Raf. It's, uh, it's great to catch up again. Of, of course, absolutely. And you've mentioned great to catch up again, because the reason why I really reached out is I still got this story in my head when you told me your breakthrough moment, when you realized that this corporate world is requesting you and is making you lead and manage people in a way that is, is not 100% how you want it. And there's something missing. And that missing link is tapping into who we are. So I would love to hear that story again, because it's such an incredible one and inspiring. Yeah, look, interestingly, I, I had 20, 20 plus years in the corporate world. And, and I'll also say this, Raf, that the corporate world was good to me. Um, so, you know, but you sort of get to a point where uh, you start to think, am I really turning up as the human being that I need to be? And, and, and how is that impacting on me and also the people that I have the privilege to, to manage in my team? So I, I got to a point where I asked myself, I asked myself a question. I guess I'd become a little bit of a maverick, I think, a bit of a rebel in, in not following the rules. And I'd realised that that seemed to be working. And, and I asked myself this question, which was, what would happen if I treated my people like human beings? And, and from that moment on, I, I literally sketched, um, and, and I've got it on my wall at home now, I sketched on an A3 sheet of paper just a bit of a map of what it would look like if I started to treat my people truly like humans. And, and as part of that, I'm going to say is be like that myself is to actually start to experiment and, and explore that myself. And um, in, incredibly, it didn't take long to start to see some changes in the way that we were um, interacting with each other as human beings. We were really starting to look at, you mentioned before about human doings and human beings, was we were really starting to, become really aware of what it was like and the way that we behaved between each other and the way that we, you know, we looked at things like thankfulness and helpfulness and care and, and fun. And so it was a bit of a bit of an interesting time. It was also very much against the system. And, and I found that the system did kick back pretty hard, Raf. But at the same time, I just thought it was the right thing to do. It's easy to say that now, but it just felt right to, to, to experiment to see what would happen. And, um, magic came out of it engagement scores were in the 90s people were happy and 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 i guess from a business perspective we were achieving our targets you know 200 percent ahead so a little a little thought bubble in my head that was what would happen if i treated people like humans changed turned into what i do today which is is help 
managers coaching them and training them and um, to become more human in their approach to work. Yeah, so you've mentioned uh, being like a human and treat others like a human. Let's just start with that, being like a human. What sort of behaviors and ways of working you have changed within yourself that started to create more trust and started to starting this openness towards the whole approach? Yeah, um, I guess my biggest tip and my biggest learning from this whole process, Raf, has been that you have to start with yourself. Mm -hmm. So I, I sort of, I look at it this way, treat yourself as your first experiment. Um, and, and, and what changed, I think, a heightened level of awareness of self, of the way that I was turning up, little things like, I call it the two A's, awareness and adjustment, checking when I walk through a door, how am I aware of how I am? What, what's my facial expression? What's my body language like? Am I interacting with people straight away? Am I choosing just to walk into my office rather than say good morning to people? So it was, mm -hmm. it was a whole lot of little things, um, Raph, I think, that started to change. What is it about being more human? It's, it's stepping into what, what the traditional experts call soft skills and what I like to call human skills, which mm -hmm. is um, empathy, compassion, I guess it's it's doing these things that you don't expect from a manager who's really looking for results. And you mentioned just before trust. The biggest thing outside of the self-awareness was for me to start to say that I'm going to trust people. Um, they don't have to earn my trust. I'm going to give it to them and, and they can lose it, but they don't have to earn it from me. And I think that was a really, really big moment where yeah. I said to people like, I think you turn up here to do good work with good intention. I don't need you to be trying really, really hard to impress me. I just want you to turn up and be a good human being. And if you do that, I think the work will work really well. And that was challenging, uh, Raf, because I didn't always think that way. At times mm -hmm. I did expect people to earn my trust by, you know, selling a major deal or negotiating a big contract or reducing cost in something. But, but I, I literally put... I'm going to say I took a risk by saying that I trust you mm -hmm. because I didn't really know if I could trust them or not, but I just thought they, they could be, I thought it would be a better way to, to build a relationship human to human. I'm guessing it comes from this idea of hierarchy and really using it as a tool in everything that we do. Now, I work as a feedback coach and I can see throughout how we communicate at work, how managers do communicate, how I was communicating in the past that that hierarchy approach is always that it always says, hey, I'm above you, I'm right. And kind of it seeps into our behavior. And you, you mentioned the trust level as well. It just creates this understanding almost from the get-go that, hey, I'm above you and you have to look up to me and you have to earn my trust, which isn't the way it should have been. But like you've mentioned, you've done it and it just started really create better results and reciprocate back, right? Exactly right. And look, um, it's, it's, it is a challenge. This is hard work. I'm going to tell you now that this is the hardest work I ever did in 25 years of my career was, was to, to start to step away from the safety of hierarchy. And I say that the safety of hierarchy being that, you know, you can feel a level of safety because you are in charge. Mm -hmm. um, you are the authority. However, you know, changing a few things around, like asking my people a simple question of what do you expect of me? I'll tell you what they didn't expect. I was in a sales environment. They didn't expect me to be great at selling things. They expected me to be hmm. dependable. They expected me to be loyal to them. They expected me to have their backs. 
um, all of those behavioural things rather than the technical things. And and I think I think this is something that organisations need to really start to look into is we need to have some sort of authority to provide direction and whatnot. However, we've got to be careful that we give all the power to those at the top mm-hmm. and we don't allow those who are in positions to, to, to do great work to have some sort of sense of empowerment and decision making. You've mentioned something very interesting because a few years ago, I've noted there's a, a project Oxygen run by Google and they figured it out, the, you know, the top eight and now it's top 10 behaviors of a great manager. And you would expect that being technically skilled, knowing how to do the job would be right at the top. It isn't. I think it's seventh or eighth, right at the top are different behaviors. And the number one is being coach-like. And then it's all those human traits that we can only think of. And so... It's, it's fascinating because we all are human beings expecting that this is what my peers would want from me as a manager, and yet we all want something different. That's how strong the corporate world overwritten our perception of being human and, and behaving and change our ways of thinking. And actually, and I think that's the key, verbalizing what we want and what we need. Because on that in- instincting level, we do know. Those research shows very clearly what we want from managers is different than what we think. And my guess is... I still would want something different from you as a manager, but then on those score sheets, I would mark something different in terms of surveys and so Yeah, on. absolutely. And, and so think about it this way. Um, I actually wrote about this in my first book, this idea, and, and I understand it. A hundred years ago, we worked in a very, you know, a very, very different environment. We were sitting, we were in production lines. We were, you know, doing very, very manual task-oriented work, and we were looked at as units of labour. So those scorecards that you just talked about, um, they were done in a different way. It was scoring how productive I could be. And then we were trying to, I guess, squeeze the last bit of productivity out of humans. And we weren't thinking about them as human beings. We were thinking about them pretty much like technical robots. So if you're technically good at what you do, we'll promote you into the next role and then we'll promote you again. And then we end up, what we do with RAF is we put people who are technically good at things in charge of human beings. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where fundamentally we need to change the system and and here's a question that we should be asking people who are technically good who may be next in line for a promotion to be a people manager and we don't ask this question i ask my clients this all the time and they they just look at me with a blank stare i ask them this um have you ever thought about whether you want to manage human beings is that your next step and a lot of people might say uh, actually, no, I don't want to do that. I'd rather just continue to be a technical expert. Mm-hmm. But there seems to be no other way to promote people. So yes. we end up promoting people into into roles as people managers and they don't want to do that. And then we wonder why they fail and they end up becoming demotivated and leave. And it's this is a fundamental shift. You know, you talked before about one of those top skills now, you know, manager as coach. And I know you, you're, an, you're an incredible coach. I, I've had you on my podcast and some of the things that you said still resonate with me around feedback. And that was a long time ago. But how about we started to make better decisions around fit for purpose managing people rather than just using an old system that promotes technically good people? I think we need to start to change that system. Because, you know, what people really need is, well, not what we need, what we all need is a little bit of money as we grow, right? Our needs are moving forward, our family grows, et cetera, and so forth and so forth. And it seems like the only way to get more money is to become a manager. 
and then manage more people and then manage more people because with that comes a bigger paycheck. And so people are saying yes to the paycheck, but they know they have to do something they don't really want. And you know what? If I had to choose, I would do the same thing because my family is my priority. And if I need a bit, bit more bucks, if I got my second child coming, well, I'll do what I need to do. And it's, it's wrong because people would grow sideways happily and take on more responsibility or being part of bigger projects, not necessarily managing more people, just really tapping into what's great about them really and what, yeah. what makes them feel like being in their own zone. And that's, that's crucial for me. Well, I think just with that, just quickly, like you see, you mentioned the word sideways. When I was coming up through the ranks in, in the corporate world, they, that was a dirty word, sideways. If you moved sideways, that was almost like your career was ended regardless yeah. of how old you were. So, but, to, but today, I think there's, there are some great organisations out there today with that maturity to say that um, we can still reward you for moving sideways. Mm-hmm. And it might be in the, in, this, in the space of, like, some people, I've had people in my team who didn't want to manage people, but they would love to be mentors mm-hmm. for people can, and, and use their experience to teach them. So I think we've got to become a little bit more lateral in our thinking about what success means in the workplace. Um, and I also take your point, you know, people want to earn money so they can live a good life. But mm-hmm. I think somewhere in between all this money takes over and, and we become people who have got a lot of money but are miserable. Yeah. And we need to be able to change that. 100%. So now let's just move slightly into more the part how to start you know, you're treating people more like a human being. So you started with yourself and that breakthrough of giving that trust ahead and then making your team earning it from you is a huge one. I had 100% agree that it's not an easy, that it's a hard work to do because you have to rewire almost every single thought, behavior, and even your system, the way you work, the way people report back to you, send you email, everything needs to be changed in order to really say, hey, I'm actually giving you the trust. It's not just saying, hey, I'm giving you the trust. It's actually, you have to change pretty much everything around you that actually speaks and says trust is there for you now you be the best version of yourself but then you've mentioned about treating people more like a human beings so what were the things that you've changed and what were the things that you rebel against like you've mentioned how did you go against the yeah. system start treating people more like human beings yeah so after the trust piece i guess the next thing was around um creating a safe, what I call a safety net. So if I think of the old system, the old system would be that if you if you failed once, you would get a warning. If you failed twice, you'd get another warning. If you failed three times, you'd most likely get fired. So, so changing it from this idea that people are in fear, thinking what I call they're going to have to walk the plank at some point in time because they did something wrong, to what I want, what I want you to do is I want you to experiment. I want you to try things. Don't, don't try big, crazy things. Try safe experiments and we'll just incrementally grow from that. Mm-hmm. Um, I want you to challenge me. And, and, and very much that was an open invitation is that I said to people is if the room is quiet, it means that I'm not doing my job properly because I haven't given you the space to feel safe enough to challenge me and to speak up. So that was sort of the first bit was creating this safety net. The second mm-hmm. one was what I call establishing a clear purpose. And and, and two things here, Raf, were really, really important. And this was just like a simple 10-minute conversation with each person was was based around understanding their relevance and their contribution. And Mm -hmm. and, and I'll just quickly explain that. As an an individual, 
how they're relevant and why, how, why they're relevant and how they contribute to the team result, to the department result, and overall to the organisation's strategic intention. If you can get really clear with people about how, as an individual, they can impact on an organisation, their sense of belonging is heightened. So mm -hmm. the second thing was around that. And then I guess the, the, the third one that I'll share is just reimagining leadership in a different way. So think about this. And this is, comes from my work in adaptive leadership with uh, Ron Heifetz and, and Marty Linsky at, uh, at Harvard Kennedy School back in 2014. They talk about leadership as an activity, not a title. So mm -hmm. what, I, what I wanted to get my people to understand was in the old system, authority rules. Yeah. In the new system, I'm going to give you permission to demonstrate leadership by challenging me, speaking up, trying different things. And what I started to find was that what, what the people realised was that without a title, they could demonstrate great leadership. And as you acknowledge that and you praise them for it, mm -hmm. the thing, as you know, when you're coaching people and giving feedback, the more you do that, the more it encourages them to do more. So I think tipping leadership on its head from leaders are the ones that sit at the top of the organisation to leadership happens everywhere in the organisation was that were three things that really started to change the dynamic between us as human beings. I can't stress how frequently I hear, well, I'm not the manager, I'm not making the decisions in here. I'm not the manager to tell you this. And I'm like, while we are living in this hierarchy world, so my background is more of hospitality and hospitality has this tendency. And the reality is we have to um, train a lot of people internally and the turnover is higher than in any other industry for obvious reasons. Like some lot of people just coming in during the university and then they will move on. Absolutely, that's absolutely fine. But then you can see how people start behaving in this hierarchy world and like, well, I know this is a good idea, but I'm not the manager to say who I am to say, go to the supervisor. I'm like, well, we all, just because I got a job that doesn't mean I have all the answers and I know everything the best. So we got to really change it and empower people to be more of themselves. When you say, when you said earlier on this sentence, we, we need to, about the authority rules, literally my mind finished the sentence with, behavior rules so we need to change that from authority rules and i was like i'm guessing the next one would be into a behavior rules because that's what it is behavior rules everything and how we behave dictates everything and we should focus on our behaviors not just not on those ranks if you will absolutely absolutely true um, and i just quickly on that that's where we brought in this concept of humanization this idea that it's how we choose to be or how we choose to behave and how aware we become in every moment like it's like us having this conversation now i i know what i've got to do i've got to talk but then i've got to think about how do i choose to turn up to this how do i choose mm -hmm. to behave I, I need to be engaged i need to be curious i need to be open and vulnerable so getting people to start to think more about it's how i behave and what mm -hmm. i'm choosing to be which impacts on the quality of what i do so i have this idea that human being creates better human doing rather than the other way around. We're doing stuff yeah. and we're in such a hurry today that we forget how to behave. Mm -hmm. And that's when things start to go wrong. So I think you, you've made a really good point there, just jogging my memory about that humanization piece. Mm -hmm. the, there's one word that is critical, guys, over there. That's choose to. This is, this is genuinely a decision. It's not an easy one. It's not something that you can just change from day to day and all of a sudden you're turning up that way. It's a constant reminder and it becomes 
how you're turning up to this conversation. Something that just really resonates in my head all the time. And I've done your human innovation challenge as well. It was something that Michael Bungistani also said on my last episode. It was like the concept of the strongest signal. It's like the signal that you're sending to the, in the room, people will respond to it. And he said, Rav, this is the signal that I want to send to you. I want to be calm. I want to be present with you. I want to give you my time. And, you know, I want to be appreciative towards you. And he's like, it's a, it's a conscious decision before he starts the conversation. That's how I want to be. That's the signal I want to send towards you. And then the whole behavior and conversation evolves around it. And so that's what, that's what it starts from. This is how I choose yeah. to be. And, and from that human innovation point, and with Michael just reinforcing that message to me, I really, whatever I do, I choose to be somehow. What's my message in here? How I want to turn up and be perceived as by you, right? And so it's critical, guys. Practice it every single day. Pick up one behavior, I'd say, and choose that behavior to be part of you as you're going along. As you get busier, as your mind gets more tired, come back to it. Because it's very easy then to come back into, like we spoke, to this hierarchy approach right yeah in the i think um yeah just just, just on yeah. that i think one of the one of the little tips i give to to teams today is when they start a meeting go around the room and each person share how they're going to choose to be in that meeting mm-hmm. before we get into the to-do list or the work in progress report literally go around the room to each person and say how are you going to choose to be today and and you know someone might say something like today i'm going to choose to be a bit quiet because I've actually got some things going on that are distracting me. Or someone's going to say, I'm going to choose today to be um, a bit of an agitator because I think we're just, we're not having the conversations we need to. And at least then everyone in the room has an understanding that if Raf's being a bit quiet, we're not judging him. We're, we're, we're with him and going, I understand why he's quiet today. And I, I can't stress this enough. That could take you 10 minutes in a meeting, maybe it depends on how many people are in there, but it clears a whole lot of air out for, for great human work to happen. This is, wow, this is so powerful. And let me guys back it up with a story with one of the, the person that I work with, the manager that I work with. This gentleman, he promised himself that no matter what he does, he's going always to raise the hand and ask the question, which is very uncomfortable. And he says, Raf, I was in so many training and public speaking events. When you know when he's like, hey, have you got any questions towards the audience? And there's like crickets, right? He was like, I choose to always raise my hand. I was like, it's a scary thing to do. I don't like it. But, but he said to me, Raf, but I'm learning from it. So what I'll be doing is I'll be raising my hands and asking those questions. In the working environment, during the meetings, he's raising his hand and asking the questions. And eventually there was a label attached to him that of course he has some questions. He's always got some questions. But they didn't know the backstory of it. But is uh, this is his resolution? This is his promise to himself to grow. I was like, does your team know about it? That your your backstory about why you choose to do, how uncomfortable it is for you, because now you're being stigmatized for it, and it's a beautiful thing to do. And you know what? Those people who are criticizing you, they wish they had that courage to do so, because it's scary to raise your hand and ask the questions, right? So it's exactly what you said. How you choose to be and communicate. This is what I want to do. And this is the reason why I'm doing it. So if I behave that way, guys, that's who I am. And yeah, it's incredible because also at some point, my mentor told me, my GM told me, Raf, are you, have you noticed that during the meetings when we brainstorming, you look up in the air and you look at you know, to the ceilings? And I was like, no, I'm not. It's like, you look like you're disengaging, you don't listen to people. I was like, that's not true. I was like, this is my signal of respect to you because the way my mind operates, when you talk about something, I imagine everything and I look around because my brain almost projects the screens and I can see that vividly. It was like, that's not how you being perceived. And I was like, you know what? I need to communicate that with my team that this yes. is how, who I am. 
And if you see me during a group discussion, looking up in the air, it's not because I'm bored. I'm actually really digesting what you just said. And I work in ways to maintain that eye contact. But again, it starts with, hey, this is who I am. This is how I show up. And that's what it means to me. That's what it means to you. And everything changes from that point onwards because it cuts a lot of assumptions from being formed and uncomfortable situations. I think um, I think the thing that resonates with me there, Raf, and thanks for sharing that story, is this seeking to understand mm-hmm. rather than, than than choosing to judge at that point in time. So when you when you said that, I could actually I could I could be that person who would be watching you going, he's he's daydreaming. But hmm. but because I don't understand, if I had to ask you the question of, I, I'm curious as to why you do that, Raf, mm-hmm. and then you tell me I do it because I actually I'm seeing I'm actually seeing what you're saying projected on the on on the roof. That makes sense to me now. Hmm. We just exactly. need to take that we need to take that time to understand. Absolutely, absolutely. You've mentioned about how you're starting the meetings, and I've noticed something different about you. How you're running those coaching sessions and remember those times when we could meet in the real real room we could you know you flew over <laughs> from australia to, to the uk and i went to yep. birmingham to to meet with yep. you in real life we could we could facilitate sessions like that in the past right <laughs> but what i've noticed <laughs> is your settings are so different to everything else to the standards again you spoke about those breaking the rules and so your setting is that there are no tables there is like semicircles and we all talk and there is a, a real conversation my question to you is now, in this world of having those Zoom meetings mainly and leading teams remotely, how can we turn up more human-like as a manager, as an employees, to sustain that humanity in our relationships and our working environment? Yeah, what a great, what a great question. Um, I think the first thing I think we've got to consider is that we're not going to get it perfect at the start. In fact, we're never going to get it perfect. But we need to learn. So we're going to be able to sit there and go, what I'm doing is good enough for where I am right now, but I'll learn as I go and I'll adapt it. So, so I think adaptation is a big part of, of this. I think I'm a lot better now at doing Zooms than what I was in March this year when I first started to do them. So I think there's that. You can still be human over virtual by creating that space for that human interaction. So whether it's a whether it's doing the today I choose to be piece, you know, giving mm-hmm. people the chance to do that, building time in for social chit chat, for, for just simply having a conversation. Now we started before we started the podcast, you said I'm in a certain room at the moment because it's early here. And, and then later on, I've got to take uh, one of my kids to school. Like that's, that's, that's gold having that conversation for four mm-hmm. or five minutes. It gives me a sense. Like I'm at, at 6 30 PM here in, in Melbourne, in Australia. And I'm like, this is a good time for me to do this podcast because I've finished the day. I get to have a chat with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of present and I'm here. It's, it's allowing people to know each other before we get into the work. And, and look, what was really interesting, Raph, when COVID hit was we got really good at this. We actually, people started to ask questions about people at home and how's your family and how are you doing and, and, and how are you feeling and things like that. And it's because we were actually starting to be we're actually in their lives now actually in a different physical environment so i think Mm -hmm. we became really sensitive to it what i would say is we've just got to realize that this isn't a this isn't a a nice to do or a fad we've got to start to treat this like it's this is how work should be 
-hmm. that we spend time in investing in connecting, building the sense of belonging. You know, I, I use breakout groups in Zoom. I like to break people out for two or three minutes just to have a chat and connect with each other, find something in common, come back, share it with the group. And then, you know, you're building this connection that you can still do. It's not the same as a physical connection. I get that. But from what I've been, I've had a workshop today with uh, six or seven people and and they've been working together for a long time, but we spent time in connecting and they found out new things about each other. So here's the, mm -hmm. here's the tip, spend time, spend time in connecting and creating a sense of belonging at the start of the meeting. Don't go straight into the work um, as in the technical work. I think that's a good way to do it. And, and the other thing is, is just checking on how you're choosing to turn up. The other thing is like, you know, it's not like uh, it's another Zoom meeting because if you turn up thinking that or see it on your face, yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, and the other thing, mate, is turn your camera on. Because <laughs> a lot of people don't turn their cameras on. It's oh, wow. like, how do you how do you connect with people when they don't turn their camera on? So I always say to people in my sessions, I really would appreciate it if you'd turn your camera on because I'd love to, I'd love to see you. Yes, absolutely. That's really important. So what I like to always do is to do a small role play and imagine yourself that I'm a new promoter manager. And I and I think I think that's where that's where every manager really starts when we are moving from employee to being manager. We have this grand vision of how we're going to be as a leaders. Often it is I won't be as my previous managers because that was wrong. And then the reality comes in and then it just it's really difficult. Not everyone is fortunate to have that mentor-like manager around you. Sometimes you just have to go with your sheer passion and willingness to, to be that difference, to be that rebel like you've mentioned. So what are the tango two you advise me to start from if for me to sustain that passion and continue to be a human being rather than slowly changing into robotic and manager-like manager -like persona at work? Yeah, so the first thing, Three words, hold your nerve. Such mm. important words because um, this work of human and, and, and then the conflict between having to turn up maybe a little bit differently in different environments, it's really, really energy sapping and energy draining and it can, it can drag you down. So understanding at the start that everything won't go right, but if you are passionate enough about it, you should be able to be resilient, hold your nerve, accept that every now and again, things aren't going to quite go right, but then look at the bigger picture that you set to yourself and you go, if I want to be that truly human manager, I'm going to have to deal with the setbacks, mm -hmm. take the knocks and the criticism that will come with it. I got criticized quite a bit with my approach, mm -hmm. but I stuck with it and I kept saying to myself, hold your nerve, Mark. This is the right thing to do. You won't see results straight away. Yeah but they will see results over time. So that's the first thing is to hold your nerve. And I think the second thing is, is finding some like-minded souls, some like-minded humans, like whether they're in the business or outside the business, you talked before about mentors, finding people who are on the same sort of journey so you can share your ups and downs with them. Because because I can tell you, this work is lonely if you're trying to go it on your own. And mm -hmm. and this is one of the challenges that people have. They they start with a with great intention, and then they slowly get dragged back down into the yeah. the weekly report, the monthly report, the quarterly review, the half year mm -hmm. performance review, and and they get back onto the robotic, you know, the, the robotic treadmill, and all of a sudden, all of the energy 
drains out of them and their people see it and they're like, what's happened to Raf? When he first started, he was full of energy and all of a sudden he seems to have, like his batteries run out. Yeah. So I think you need to recharge your battery by, you know, even doing like what we're doing is we're hanging out, talking to each other, giving each other energy, I hope, and then mm-hmm. going, this is how it should be. So I think they're two things to, to think about. What really worked for me in the past is very similar to what you mentioned with the second tip is whether I would take in a new team or try to make a difference within the existing one, I would always look for those potential ambassadors of my vision of being human. Those who are really by it very quickly and very easy to change their minds and behaviors to be, to be supportive towards what I'm doing. And then, so basically the way I always envision myself within the team is if I'm on my own in the corner, who's going to join my corner? Who's going to join my corner of being human? And eventually I'm changing the ratio. Eventually, I'm, going to, I'm having most of the room being on our side and there's those two, three who don't really get it, don't want to get it, or they're not ready just yet. But you're slowly changing the ratio by picking up the people that are on your side or would quickly join your side and you're building from there. That's, that's something that worked for me really well in the past. And that's what was my starting point of every change. I think just on that quickly, I think of something else, Raf, um, which might be useful for your listeners is... This comes from adaptive leadership again. A big lesson I learned was you need to meet every person at an individual level where they're at, as in, mm-hmm. in that. So you sort of said some of them have, uh, I call them disciples, doubters, and detractors. Mm-hmm. So your disciples have already come across to your corner. All yeah. right, so that's good. You've got them there helping it. The doubters are the ones that have got a few more questions. They're a bit curious. Mm-hmm. So they're going to take a bit more time. And some of the detractors may never come. But, but what you've got to understand as a manager is you can't always bring them all along for the ride. It's just not, it's not going to happen. And a lot of people give up because they feel like they're failed because they didn't get everyone there. But maybe if you move the detractors just slightly, that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's enough. And like you said, some, you've mentioned something earlier on about you may not see the work straight away. Well, you may move them just a slightly bit towards your direction and you may never see them becoming fully human being within your working environment within your organization but at some point they may start joining elsewhere and moving on the slower with a slower pace but still keep on moving towards that direction which that's all we can ask for really when we do the change there was one question i had in my mind earlier on and i forgot to ask when you announced those changes and changed the way you behave and lead and had those conversations what sort of approach you've chosen have you have you done it slowly and gradually or you went no, guys, uh, I've come to this realization and I do all my best to change it. And this is how it is moving forward, which um, <laughs> hindsight is a wonderful thing, Raf. I went all guns blazing, full on. This is how it's going to be. This is going to be great. Come with me. It's a wonderful <laughs> place to live and, and we're all going to be happy. And then about three months in, I started to get a sense that some of my people were like, what's wrong with him? And they were starting to resist it a bit. So, like, I think if I had had my time over again, 12 years on, I would be a little bit less passionate about it that sort of made people a little bit fearful of what what is he doing here? And um, so I think I would, in the spirit of adaptation, we should be incremental and sort of slowly move into it. Yeah. But no, I went big bang and that was a big lesson for me. Um, and look, I'm still a bit like that today, Raf, to be honest. Yeah. I, when I'm teaching people about this, I'm, I'm full of energy and this is where you need to go. But, but chunking it down, as I chunked it down into the sort of seven steps or seven stages, just one at a time, trust, 
create the safety net, clear purpose, leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, chunking it down is a much better way to go because I think you can scare them off if you if you change things significantly in a hurry. People are wondering what they're going to lose, not what they're going to gain. Yeah. So I think I think I I learned a very valuable lesson that I went too hard too early. It's a tendency that we that we have. Like I've I've done the same mistake in the past too. I went just all into one thing because I'm so passionate about it. it. Makes sense for me, and I forgot that not everyone is where I am. You've mentioned meet people where they are at, and we all have different backgrounds, and we are attached emotionally to different outcomes and different actions and and results and all and so forth and so forth. But there has to be that element of communication. I, I'll be a little bit different. It's just staggering it, but being clear about it. Because if you don't say anything and start changing your behavior, people will start wondering well, what's happening. And you, what you don't want to do is creating any sense. Um, you don't want to create any uncertainty in any set no. of circumstances, whether it's a feedback conversation, whether it's leadership, whatever it is, you don't want to have people guessing what it is that you're doing. So it has to be communicated, but perhaps not seven steps at once. Hey, guys, this is the seven steps that I just you know, climb those uh, floor straight away. So beautiful um, advice. I, I like that. I like it a lot. We're about to wrap up this session. And I always ask this question. I'm curious your answer. Who is or was the best coach-like leader that you work with or for? You know what? I looked at this question and you sent it through to me and I'm like, it's really, really challenging to say for me. I think one of my very first managers when I was a young um, customer service supervisor in the logistics business his name was Mark Whitby and still a very good friend of mine. And I think he was someone who I really learned from because he just had a presence about him. He had this presence about him that even though he was a big guy, he was very calm and he was very considered in what he did. And the other thing was he, he made work fun as well. So mm-hmm. I, I, I sort of, I learned from him just observing him and, and, and at times I'd go to him for advice. He was my manager and he would, he would actually, at times, and you'd love this, he would know the answer, but he would get me to work the answer out by just asking me questions. So I think that nice. was great. But the one that really came to mind for me, and I know because you've got a, a sporting background, but I think back to school and my physical education teacher at, at our high school. So from the age of you know, 12 to 18, he had the most significant impact on me as a, as a, a coaching leader. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was the space he was in, but he was just... He was so good at making you feel like you were the only person there, mm-hmm. even though there were hundreds of kids and that he would, it was very, very, he was very, very good at helping you. And the other thing that he did well was he told you what you needed to hear and not what he thought you wanted to hear. So if he had to deliver you some really constructive feedback that might hurt you a bit, he would do that. And mm-hmm. and I, 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 I think I learned from him, even though I was quite shy back at that stage, I learned that skill from him later in life that telling people what they need to hear is much better than making stuff up and trying to, you know, give them the feedback sandwich type, good news, bad news, good news. Mm -hmm. So that would be two people that have had a significant impact on me. Love it. Thank you very much. And again, going back to the same point that you mentioned right at the beginning is that you may not see the, the result of the work, but it will come out at some point. It's not just like with your, your teacher, you know, it didn't strike straight away. You, you weren't using it automatically straight away, but at some point in your career, you were coming back to it all the time. And then just because that PE teacher decided to be that way and treat you that way, it had a significant impact over your life. And that's what I love about coaching and understanding that people may not get it just yet, but at some point 
they will come back to it and they will, they will use it. You may not ever be able to see it, even know about it, but it will come. So have that faith, have the belief and do what you do because it, it makes a difference. As long as you treat people as human beings and you're good to them, it will make a difference eventually. So that's absolutely. Thing. So thank you very much, Mark, for today's conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. And I know you've written two books. I'll leave the links down below. You've got your own podcast. I'll drop the link as well. On LinkedIn, you're very active and Instagram. Are there any other places where we can find out stuff about you and learn from you? Yeah, look, I, if, I guess the website's always a good one to go to, which is just www.marklebusk.com. That, that's, that's got a whole lot of things. There's a, there's mm -hmm. a shop, there's, there's um, blogs there. I have, a, I have a free newsletter that you can sign up for monthly. So there's, there's some things there that people can find that might be useful for them. Um, but uh, yeah, the main things, as you just sort of said before, that the books really help people to just, you know, follow very, very practical things that I yeah. did that seemed to work. So I think that would be the best places to find me. Fantastic. Thank you. I'll make sure to drop them in the links, guys. So, well, what a conversation. What a great way to catch up back. It's, it's, been, it's been a great pleasure to meet with you again. And perhaps someday in the future again, you'll fly back or maybe I'll fly to Australia and we'll meet again. We've always, we've always um, threatened that we'll all get on a stage at some stage together, some of our other good friends and colleagues from around the world. So let's hope we can get this virus over and done with and, and get back together. But, mate, thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Good on you, mate. All right.